Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and I'm very excited to be joined by two brilliant writers who are going head to head a bit later on in a war of the words. They also happen to have published two of the most talked about books this year. My first guest lives in LA. In fact, she's going back there very shortly, so he must be quick. She used to work as a casting assistant in Hollywood and is now the author of six critically acclaimed books, including her first published in the UK, Daisy Jones and the Six. Taylor Jenkins Reid, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. And next to her is a journalist, columnist, the most well-dressed event host I know and author of the critically acclaimed memoir, Maggie and Me. And now his first novel, You Will Be Safe Here. Hello, Damien Barr. Good morning, Gerald. I nearly put on a tux today because when I see you, you always, and, it, and it has happened today as well, you always look so dapper. Thank you very much. Um, I don't. I mean, that's because you see me in public. If you saw me at home, <laughs> you'd see that I was in probably just pants and maybe pajamas on a good day and with a chicken on my lap. So yeah, very I different am, sort I, of look. It's, it's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> and um, recently, um, Taylor, when I was in your neck of the woods, yeah. I decided to go for the full-on plane wear. Where, oh, for good. the 11-hour flight, where I was in those sort of like really baggy, baggy, awful yeah. trousers and some old comfy T-shirt. And, mm-hmm. and I tell you what, I'm never going to look back again. Like, that is the way to travel to LA, Oh, isn't yeah. It? Oh, to, I'm I'm right now wearing jeans and a, and a shirt as if, like, I'm a real human. But in, in like, an hour, I'm putting on a pair of sweatpants that I've been wearing on every flight for the past, like, eight days because I've been touring some. There's stains all over it. But I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> this is my time. On this airplane, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. Do you wear those trousers to write in as well? Are they, oh, are you they don't favorites? even want to know what I write in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, like, it's a mess. Like, I mean, that's the reason I'm a writer. I was like, what can I do in my pajamas? And yeah. that's what and I can that's do. that's what you can do. So yeah. I made it happen. And you're at the end of, of what's been quite a big tour, both in, in the States and over here in the UK. You're sort of coming to the end of, of talking about this book. Yeah. And, Damien, you're about to start the whole process of yes. talking about your book as well so how are you feeling Ted, at the end of this are you sort of ready to go home and maybe have a few days off I'm definitely ready to go home especially because I want to see um, my daughter I, I have been away from her for, for eight days and so I'm excited to see her but you know what actually I, when you start getting like when you go like on the road you know you start to get used to it and, and it's really not so bad I mean there are periods of time like two weeks ago I was going to the, I like got up from my hotel and I packed my stuff and I'm getting in the car to take me where I'm supposed to go. And then I get to the airport and it says destination. And I was like, 
where am I going? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I just go where people tell me to go. It's um, really infantilizing, it's isn't it? It's really infantilizing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, n- I don't know what time it is. I don't know, you know, and I just, whatever someone tells me to do is what I do. My autonomy is completely gone. But when you just let go a little bit, it's like, mm. cool. You know, someone will just drag me and just tell me when to turn on. And it's not so bad. <laughs> and and as we said, Damien, you're just about to publish your book at the time of recording this. Uh, so it's sort of all all ahead. Are you feeling excited, nervous, all of the above? I tried to buy some new trousers last week. That was my way of focusing <laughs> on um, <laughs> what, um, what my energies, my nervous energy, because I alternate from being sort of really excited about it and really terrified about it. And I think because of the work that I do with the salon, I work with novelists all the time who are about to launch a book. And, and I see how, um, how nervy and excited they are. And now I really, truly have deeper empathy for it. Um, because yeah I mean, who knows what's going to happen I think the thing that I keep reminding myself of is that all the work is done and has been done for ages like the book has been finished for a while now and um, and that's that's the only thing you have any control over is the words on the page mm. the rest of it is publication and I think that's a really different experience from from the actual writing but yeah I mean I have a, I have a tour ahead of me um, I've just booked events in for a year from now, so oh my God. so it's so it's gonna be it's gonna be a long one. There will be more than one pair of stretch pants uh, for the plane. <laughs> I expect that they'll get bigger as the tour goes on because exercise is one of the things that falls by the wayside. So so, but I am really excited about it, and I love the conversations with readers. And mm. um, that's the thing. I was it Samuel Johnson who said the writer starts the book, a reader finishes a book, and and you know the book that I've written is full of history and stories and controversy and I think that oh, well, I know actually because it's already happened we were delivering proofs to shops and a woman overheard me at Daunt's um, and she's like I want that book and I disagree and I was like great this is going to go well <laughs> it's not out yet and you're already disagreeing so yeah. <laughs> well I want to talk about both of your um, new novels just first though um, you've, re- you've each brought another book with you to, to talk about in the book off to pitch to us a book that you both love you think that everyone should read and just teases for a bit later about the book that you've brought to pitch Taylor are we saying the name or, or I'm, I'm intriguing you can you. tell us the name okay. you can tell us the name um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm saying The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas yeah. <laughs> I would be happy for that book to win. Okay. I would be happy okay. for that book to win. <laughs> okay, reaction good. was fantastic yeah okay good and that's going up against the Color Purple. Oh my God, that was my other choice. Was it? <laughs> oh my God, this is nuts. This I love is that. nuts. It's... Oh, you should win. Oh, we should. We both should win. I just can't believe there are people oh. who haven't read both of those books because they're both incredible. Oh, so. I literally the, the the other day someone asked me for like a for International Women's Day, like some magazine was doing a thing about like greatest book written by a woman, <clears throat> and I was like, oh, The Color Purple. Like, yeah. oh yeah. Great. Oh, it's going to be an interesting it. one I later, I think. Yes. It's going to be interesting. Um, but Telly, can you take us back to 2006? Because when we spoke last time, you were telling me about how you landed what you thought was your dream job. Yes. Right? And this is actually what ended up making you want to write. Yeah, that that is true. I I, um, I had always intended on working in Hollywood. Um, I, and I, by always, I mean like I was 10 years old and I was like, I'm going to Hollywood. And people were like, why? And I had no answer to that, but I just really wanted to, to do it. So, um, so I moved to L.A. in 2005. I got a job in casting. I was a casting assistant for um, – actually, it ended up being four years. But um, I met um, – a lot of famous people which was really cool and one of the people that I met was Jennifer Aniston and I had always been really obsessed with her um, because she's great and um, 
and so I, I when I knew that she was going to come into the office, I called um, all my friends from back home, and I was like, oh my god, I'm going to meet Jennifer Aniston, um, and they were they all said, you know, you have to tell us what happens, and so you know she comes into the office and she's there. For a job to do and so was I so the extent of our meeting was she was like hi I'm Jennifer and I was like hi I'm Taylor and like that was it like that was that was the whole thing and I thought I can't call each individual person and be like <laughs> she said her name's Jennifer right so um so I wrote a story about it and uh I you know it was it was basically just uh you know the buildup of this moment and then how small it was it's mm. like oh my god this is gonna happen you know and I went through the course of my day and um, it was the first thing I'd ever written, and I didn't write it to write something. I wrote it really because I was trying to make something out of nothing to tell my friends. And so the the whole joke of the piece was like it was very small and nothing happened. Um, and uh, but you got to meet Jennifer Aniston. I did get <laughs> to meet her. That's true. Yeah. Did she shake your hand? She did. Which yeah. hand? I, I mean, I'm assuming my right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right? Hard to say, but I think it was my right. Um, and uh, and a lot of people wrote back to me, and they said that, that it was – that it was a good story and that I should be a writer. And so that, like, I mean, I always like to do things that people compliment me on. So I continued <laughs> to try and write other stories um, that that had of things that had happened to me. And then eventually that became, I mean, I ran out of interesting things that had happened to me because I'm not that interesting of a person. And so um, I moved on to writing fiction. Fantastic. And tell us, who is Daisy Jones? Daisy Jones is the one of the lead singers of Daisy Jones and the Six. That should be obvious. I don't know why I just said that. But um, she is uh, originally a groupie coming out of L.A. She's um, beautiful and very glamorous. And from a very young age, um, she has this, this sort of um, charisma that people are very drawn to. Um, but she wants to be an artist she sees herself as a songwriter and people don't really take her seriously for that they the men in her life mostly want to sleep with her or or um use her ideas in order to better themselves and so she um really tries to take charge of her own career and, and insist on her time in the spotlight um and so she becomes a very she becomes one of the greatest rock singers of the 70s um, within the context of the book because she is not real. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll come back to the context of that book and a bit more about that scene in LA as well, which I'm really interested in in, in a moment. Um, Damien, just to turn to you, You Will Be Safe Here is your first novel and congratulations. It's getting Thank a lot you. of praise already. Um, and it's inspired by real events, isn't it? Yeah, it's partly inspired by real events. I wasn't looking to write a novel um, I had, you know, I'd been touring with my memoir and running the salon and, and being very happy doing all that. So I found a newspaper story online about a boy who had been murdered in South Africa. And this boy looked just like a boy that I'd gone to school with. He'd come to my school in Scotland for a year and gone back to South Africa. And I'd never seen him again because it was before social media until I saw a picture of this boy in the paper and he'd been killed. And of course, it wasn't the boy that I'd gone to school with but it looked just like him mm. and I became obsessed by the story of what happened to this boy and following the trial online because South Africa's in the same time zone as the UK so I could follow it um, and but very quickly details started to disappear South Africa is a very violent country there's a lot of crime there and even a case as horrific as the murder of Raymond Boys um, disappeared and um, I couldn't stop thinking about this boy whose parents had sent him to a place where they make men out of boys. That was that's the slogan of the camp, which was run by former soldiers. 
and I discovered that you know not only had he been killed there, three other, well, two other boys had been been killed there, um, and this was a network of camps across South Africa. And then I started to delve into, you know, camps in South Africa and discovered that during the Boer War, during the Second Boer War, in nineteen hundred, Britain invented the concentration camp in South Africa. Um, we made a homeless nation of women and children by burning all these farms and then we concentrated people into camps and that's the origin of the expression concentration camp um, and to me there was just a really clear line from the history to the present mm. and I wanted to expose that and, and, and explore it um, through telling the stories of people on the ground at the time um, Tyari Jones said I think that you know you talk about people and their stories not stories and their people so the first part is historical it's about Sarah and her son Fred and they're sent to a place called Bloemfontein Concentration Camp. And there they have to survive. But they also make friends. And good, fun things happen to them too. Like there's a choral society in a school. Because previously these people had lived on their own in the middle of nowhere. Suddenly there's thousands of them in, in one space. So they make friends. Um, and then the, there's a, a contemporary story about a boy called Willem. Who prefers books to sports and animals to people. Um, and who is sent by his mother. Um, and her boyfriend to a place called New Dawn um, and he's sent there in order to be straightened out basically so it's a story of connected stories um, and it ranges over a hundred years but it's actually quite a short book mm. um, I realised after spending a year editing it down to nothing <laughs> it's quite short um, and it's intense there's, it's, you know, there's a lot in there um, but yeah that's, that's the story it's really about mothers and sons and survival, you know, what mm. we, what will you do to survive in a place like this? Was it a case that you, the, the story sort of grabbed you to the point where you're like, I've got to write it now? Then. Well, I just had to know. I, I, I ended up going to South Africa and finding this boy's mother and going to the place where he'd been killed and written a big feature about it for the Guardian this week. Actually, um, you know, I put myself in an incredibly dangerous situation without really realizing what I was doing. Um, because I just had to know. I think when you get a hold of, I don't know if it's the same for you, Taylor. When you get a hold of something, if you can't stop thinking about it, you know, you you, you can't rest. Mm. You know. And initially, I thought maybe I would do a bit of journalism, or maybe I would do a bit of nonfiction. And it became a novel because I couldn't answer all the questions. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to make stuff up. And if you're making stuff up, it's a novel. And so, so that's what it became. Um, but it's been five years of my life. It's been it's been a really long time. Yeah. Um, but I'm really happy in the end that I've managed to give a voice to these people who have these women and children from 100 years ago, and these boys now, who, by the way, are still being sent to places like New Dawn. Yeah, which is just unbelievable, isn't it? Really. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about you know South Africa and your trip there in a moment. But Taylor, back to you and, and about this <coughs> fascination with the music scene from mm -hmm. the, I, I assume, the 1970s and mm -hmm. certainly the West Coast music scene, which is part of the whole Daisy Jones and the Six thing. So we're talking like a Fleetwood Mac style era yeah. and music. That's such an exciting time for music. For We look back now on it and we still listen to those albums. You know, What was it for you that made you think, I'm going to set it there in my hometown and I'm going to set it around this sort of music? I think I'm always looking to set things in Los Angeles. I like writing about Los Angeles, and I think that we we write a certain type of Los Angeles all the time um, that is not, in my experience, the one that I know. And so 
um, all of my books have take, taken place there, except for one, which only half takes place there. But, um, but so that's first and foremost. So, so when I'm looking at a story, I'm often thinking, um, where does it fit in in Los Angeles? And if you're going to write a story about music in Los Angeles, there are a couple of times that you have to choose from, and a lot of them do take place on the Sunset Strip, but <laughs> the one that was the most exciting for me is the 70s. Because, yeah, it's Fleetwood Mac, and it's the Eagles, and it's Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown. Um, and, and it just was an exciting time, and it was a romantic time in, in which um, I, you know, 70s rock, especially when we're getting into more of the, like, what we would now call, like, easy listening or, like, soft rock, um, w- women were let in a bit more. Um, and that's something that I'm... I'm much more interested in writing about that, where where women have a little bit of a claim of the space. Um, and so I thought, well, I want to make up a band that's that's you know got men and women in it that really comes into their own in the late '70s, and and would sound somewhere in between, you know, like Fleetwood Mac maybe on one side and and like Springsteen on the other, mm. like they're they're somewhere in in between there. Um, and so that was that was really that was the excitement for me because because you do tap into that nostalgia for that time right like I'm gonna spend at least a year of my life in this space so I want it to be one that I'm excited about and one that feels like oh that'd be so cool to do that as opposed to like and then I'm gonna have to research X and Y you know Mm -hmm. it just felt like oh who who wouldn't want to spend weeks at a time like researching 70s rock like that was very fun (laughs) <laughs> How do you decide what research to keep in and what to keep out? Because the thing oh, is, I, yeah. mean, I, I became obsessed by the research. Yeah. Book, and I spent months and months and months in libraries obsessing over diaries and pictures and things. Yeah. And of course, there was just no room for it in the yeah. end. You know, yeah. I knew it all. I, mean, mm. I, I was like, oh, but you can't, yeah. you can't shove it all. <laughs> but that's important work too, though. You know, yeah. like I do think you have to know a lot more than you can include. Mm. I think that's important. And, and for me, you know, I'm always focused. I'm always very deadline focused. Mm. So I give myself a firm date of when each thing needs to be done. And um, that helps me get to a point where you know I have to make a decision about what's great versus good enough, mm. and I do try to err on the side of of good enough until we I get to the end of the process, and I think okay now now is my opportunity to make it great. But it, in general, you know I I do about six months of research on uh, six months. That's not true. Six weeks. <laughs> um, hearing me say it, it sounds so bold. <laughs> I do about six months of research. No, six weeks. Six weeks. Um, six weeks of, of research and at the end of that six weeks I think you know okay I gotta you know, if, if I'm continuing to research I'm doing because I don't want to write the book so I need to like get down and start writing and I'll research as I go but to, that's an interesting point you make Damien where you're saying you know you got sort of obsessed about it you were reading up about it mm. and yet it is quite a short book mm. so do you think there's something in that in that you've managed to sort of sub it all down because of doing all that research that that you've made it dense and yet it's not a long sort of. I think. Tale. I think you. I think I. I think of it as Jenga. So right. you know, what can I take away, and it will still stand up. And so I spent a whole year Jengafying the book, whereas taking stuff away, taking away whole characters, taking away whole relationships, and it was interesting actually. If it's really easy to kill somebody in a book to get rid of them, not kill them on the page, but take them out. They didn't need to be there in the first place. They were they were already mm. a ghost of a something. So so I I was surprised by by how easy some of that was. Um, 
and yeah I, th I think you just if it's essential for the story then it stays if it's essential for your ego or just because you love it and it's a little factoid that you just like stroking then you can still stroke it you just don't need to put it in the book you it's know, sometimes so. hard to tell the difference though right, right. it's like you'll 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 come upon a section upon a section and it's like i love this but mm. you really have to interrogate why you love it and what you love about yeah. it and well, it's i think so often easy. it's just i love that i know this yeah i, think that's <laughs> yeah. I love that yeah. i know this so i mean i had some i had some brilliant first uh, first readers and my, my editor alex von hirschberg is, is incredible and so you know and she's also south african which was which was interesting and helpful so i think i i, I did take away a lot of stuff and I, I also very much wanted to leave space for the reader in this book um, I am not, for myself, not a fan um, of books where everything, every question is answered or answered in a way that means there's no room for interpretation. And I know this is something your characters deal with to Taylor with this idea of disputed history, what happened, what really happened. Mm. And I think that, I think that you know, as the writer, um, and the characters may think they know, and they may have competing versions of history, but that's all right, you know, and I think actually that's what's interesting. And so I've definitely left space in my book for the reader to make their mind up about certain characters and make their mind up about certain events. I think particularly in South Africa, history is very disputed. Um, it is not a constant. It is uh, it is constantly being renegotiated, in fact. Um, and I wanted to show that process on on the page. So there are a couple of key facts, a couple of key moments which recur through the book, mm. um, which are reflected and refracted differently. Um, and that's that's because I didn't want to overwhelm the reader with you know too much knowledge. I mean, I could have written five books about this, and I keep thinking, well, should I write a sequel? And actually, I think it's probably unhealthy. I think I just need to mm -hmm. move on. But there is a part of my brain which is thinking, well, what does happen when they go back to the farm? And you know, and does Willem get a boyfriend? And you know, all of that yeah. sort of stuff. But and also, it's all still in there, isn't it? You know, it's it all still very fresh yes. for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and actually, you you. you touched on it Damien earlier in your book you, you decided Taylor to, to sort of write the book in a script style biography form so this is this is a very different way of, of consuming uh, prose what was it that made you want to write it like that like an account yeah so so it's written as an oral history and mm. and typically when, when oral histories are written they're written about nonfiction, about things that really happened but I really like reading them I you know when when you know, the, the premise is basically that you have this cultural moment, whether it's an album or uh, or a band or a TV show or a movie, whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, 20 years later, 40 years later, everyone comes together, the people that were involved in it, to tell you the story of how it came into being. It's a structure that I really love yeah. reading. Um, and so I've read a lot of them in my life, and I was – I my husband had you know had been reading like a few like he went through like a period of time where it was like the saturday night live um oral history which is like a 600 page book that they keep adding <laughs> like every new season of snl they like add sections to it um but so there were just like a lot of them around me and i thought well what if you did that but fiction and i and i was thinking that at the same time that i had been thinking i really wanted to write about a band and so those the, they sort of came together and i thought okay, here's the book. You write an oral history about a 70s rock band. Um, and it is a different way to tell a story, certainly in fiction. I mean, the you open the book and you'll see, you know, it's it's a chorus of voices who are telling you this story. So Daisy says what what she thinks happened in Billy. And then you're cutting back and forth all the time. Daisy, Billy, Karen, Warren, Eddie, you know, all these people are chiming in. And they don't agree and mm. they don't remember mm. things um, accurately. 
And I think what is really fun about that format is that you can also tell a story about the nature of human memory Mm -hmm. that that we don't remember things clearly and what we do remember is always serving us in in one way or another even if it's telling a negative story about us or portraying us in a negative light it's because we want to see ourselves that way Mm -hmm. we're always telling ourselves every day the story of ourselves Mm -hmm. i was here i got here this is how i learned this and um it's kind of a false idea right like you even the story of your day, you're picking and choosing the things that turn it into a story. You're not choosing the things that you find irrelevant. You're highlighting things and you're you're muting things and editorializing your own life yeah. all the time. Mm. We're all unreliable narrators. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And so when you get all of these people together to talk about this band and this album and and why it worked and why they broke up, every single person is bringing every moment of their lives to that story yeah. and that was the best most fun part about writing it in style. <laughs> if I, I like i the other day someone was like would you write another oral history and i was like if i can get away with it if people aren't going to call me a one-trick pony yeah absolutely but it's really you? fun i mean why wouldn't yeah you? i don't know i i think there's definitely where i am right now i've i take such an effort to with every book not do the thing i've done already uh-huh. but um I look back on the ways in which in my earlier books, you know, if I told a story in one structure, if I thought that structure worked for the next story that I wanted to tell, I was like, I can't do that. I've already done that. And I look back on it and I'm like, no, I totally could have. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been fine to do it. So I don't know. Like, we'll, we'll see. I loved, I really loved it. And um, I mean, it, it comes with a lot of challenges as well, but but mm-hmm. they're ones that I've, I think I've learned and I feel really confident about navigating now. So um yeah, I would, I would love to do another one. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. We will see. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, It's time now for the book off. And uh, we have here uh, my, my handy props. The oh, bell wow. and the horn. Uh, so, um, Taylor, you get to decide whether you'd like to be rung out 
or honked out after your three minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. I think I'd prefer the bell. You like I'm the bell? I'm sorry okay. that I'm giving okay, you the horn. Okay. I, I, I'm sorry that I'm giving you the horn. <laughs> <laughs> A line that and I'm sorry that I'm giving the horn to you. Um, I will take the horn. <laughs> but you get to decide if you go first or second. I'll go second. Okay. Oh, see, that, that was see, the... Straight away, yeah. straight away as well. So I'm going to put three minutes on the clock for you, Teddy. You don't have okay. to use all three. Okay. But as soon as we reach the three... That's okay. going to be coming out, all right? All right. Um, so do you, I'll, I'll also make sure you can see it as well. Oh, good. Okay. That was so the you, part I was yeah. going to ask you. Yeah. Great. Um, so it's over to you to tell us about The Hate You Give and Why We Should All Read It by okay. Angie Thomas. All right. So um, I think the biggest reason why everyone should read The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas is because it is the best example I've ever read of changing people's point of view um, and telling a very important story without compromising entertainment. Um, I think a lot of times when we tell stories about people um, that that are issue driven, um, the issue becomes more than the story, mm. and which is fine. I love those. I love that work too. But what Angie Thomas has done is written a story in which it's not doesn't feel like eating your vegetables. It's a fun story to read with characters that you really care about. And it's the most perfect example I can think of in, in recent um, in recent years where by simply telling the truth about what people's lives are like and making the characters people that you care about, you can change minds. I mean, reading is supposed to foster empathy. That's one of the most important things that it can do. When you tell stories about people that are um, facing a particular issue, like in The Hate You Give, which is a story of a black young girl in the U.S. whose friend is shot by a policeman. This is something that in the U.S. we're dealing with all the time. It's on the news cycle constantly. And there's this question of Black Lives Matter you know, and, and what that means, and I think people misinterpreting what it means a lot, because all that it means is that black lives also matter. They matter in addition to white lives and all other lives. Um, it's a really hot button issue, and yet telling one girl's story in a way where you care about this girl, um, I think will give you empathy for what it's like to be living in communities in which the police are not your savior these the police are your enemy mm. um and so i think angie thomas has done something really incredible because she's told one very specific story that is fun to read it's good you care about the characters and yet by the end of it i think you feel changed in understanding either the fiction should do two things right it should it should um comfort the uncomfortable or discomfort the comfortable and this book does both if you don't deal with this issue you now understand a little bit of what it's like and if you do then you feel seen and you know that someone else is telling this story so um, I think it's an incredibly powerful book that reads as if it's fun and um, and easy which is very difficult to do fantastic all right. you out anyway you have 10 <laughs> seconds to go 10 seconds to go but that was wonderful and um, yeah such a great such a and such person. a wonderful person, isn't she, Angie? Yeah. Just, ah. Uh, we'll talk about it very shortly, but we'll give you your three minutes first, Damien. Put that on the clock, uh, because it's over to you to tell us about The Colour Purple. So The Colour Purple is a novel by Alice Walker that she wrote in the early 1980s, and she won the Pulitzer Prize for it. She was the first 
um, black woman to win the Pulitzer Prize. It is one of the most banned books of all time. Uh, it has regularly court cases are brought against to schools, particularly in America, saying it shouldn't be taught. And why shouldn't it be taught? Well, I, I was taught it when I was 14 in my school in Scotland, and it changed my view of the world because here was a story of two sisters in, um, in Georgia in, in the 1920s and 30s, um, and it's written as a series of letters by these sisters, Celie and Nettie, and it depicts a life of beauty and brutality, uh, of struggle and survival where these two sisters are they're, they're, have this incredibly close bond they're torn apart by men who marry them off as and when they see fit who rape them who beat them who try as hard as they can to extinguish every shred of their personality and who fail and it's one of the most triumphant books one of the most encouraging books for me at that time i was having a really hard time in my own life i was home was really dark and violent and I was facing a lot of the same issues that Celie and Nettie were facing and in fact my best friend who was also gay um who's in Maggie and me um he's called Mark in there he and I called each other Celie and Nettie and <laughs> and we would write notes to each other in the voices of the characters so the it's it's a story of 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 how to find friends um and how humans can crush one another but also help one another it, um, there's a brilliant character in there called Shug Avery um, lesbianism is one of the reasons oh, that the book is often banned Shug she, Avery. she's so hot she's got, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the horn again yeah. <laughs> um, Shug Avery is this, is, this, is this jazz singer who comes into town with all her feathers and her spangles and, and her voice, her sexy voice um, and Celie's husband is into Shug and Celie is into Shug as well. Um, and we have this bizarre love triangle. I mean, the most unlikely of love triangles. Um, but it's wonderful and it's, it's beautiful and it's humane. Um, I would also encourage people, if they haven't read the book, which is written as a series of letters, to watch the film. The Steven Spielberg film is an unusually good adaptation um, and was pioneering at the time because so few films have been made with an all-black cast that they didn't know how to light black skin. So, so there are lots of pioneering film techniques. It's also a musical, um, which I have yet to see, but which I know a lot of people really love. So um, I, would, I would really recommend people for reading it because it's an insight into a world that, that you haven't seen, but feelings that you may have felt of feeling oppressed, of having to stand up for yourself. And you just, you see these women do it in the least likely circumstances and they do triumph and we share in that time. Oh, oh. I, you can't, you can't give him the horn then. Oh God. I went over, I was four seconds <laughs> over. Oh, oh. I was even, I was trying, I was oh. like, he's gonna break in a moment, he's gonna break, I'm gonna do. I was almost in tears, come on. I know. Oh wow, I mean, what? What do you do in a situation like this? You can because choose them both. I think yeah. you should choose them both. I feel like I feel like there's. I'm I'm getting softer in my old age, but more and more, you know, I come <laughs> to this point and I'm like, I think they both need to just win, don't they? Like, also, would you have had Angie without Alice? I, I think there. Oh my god! You know, yeah. A real, I, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how the the hate you give ages and the way mm. that we see it over time. Um, and on yeah. the come up, which is Angie's second yeah. novel, yeah. which was published earlier this year, mm -hmm. is is just as good. Right? Mm -hmm. It is it is so she's brilliant very as very well. talented, and she set that in the same fictional mm -hmm. town, but mm -hmm. very you know totally different characters. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I just love both of your pictures, and I loved the the sort of personal elements 
from each of you about those books. I also loved at the very beginning when we talked about them, you each were like, no way, oh my God. I it's know. funny, we both came to it, I think, for the similar... When, <laughs> it is when you, when you ask a question of what should everyone read, yeah. you start to, to like think and view your reading habits of differently it's a very different question yeah. to what's your favorite book which yeah, is it impossible is. to answer but it also is. i would never ask that yeah so yeah the whole point is what you know it, it's about this sharing it's about people yeah. listening in and thinking i've got to go and got to go read that now i've heard that and i think after hearing both of your pitches that's going to happen um i loved them both let's call it a draw for today um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you both here. Thank you for not going back to LA so soon. Uh, <laughs> thank you for getting up early and coming up from Brighton. Um, you will be safe here by Damien Byers, published by Bloomsbury, and Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid is published by Hutchinson. Both absolutely fabulous books, both out now, and you should get them. Um, enjoy being back with your daughter. Enjoy the LA sun. Thank you. And I'll well. be over to visit you soon. Great. <laughs> and Damien. <laughs> Good luck with the rest of your year because it looks like you've, yeah, you've pretty much uh, you've pretty much booked it up. Yeah, how's excited. by the way? I should have asked. I meant to ask this earlier. How's uh, how's the salon doing? Are we? Uh, what can we expect? We have a salon coming up in June, all about outsider voices at the Theatre Royal in Brighton with Tracy Thorne and Dustin Lance Black. So two ah. really different voices, wow. but two two outsiders, and it's it's going to be a great night. So yeah, people Absolutely. can come when, When's that in June? June the twenty third. So you can check it out on literallysalon.co.uk. And Tracy joined us for, for Book Off um, a couple of episodes ago, and she's got so much to What was talk her book? About. What did she choose? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was Donna Tartt's Secret History. Secret History. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. That's yeah, a, it was that's a pretty, a good, good, one. That's pretty a, good one. That's a solid, like, who that's could disagree? A, yeah, exactly. You know, like, you know it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, we all went, yeah. Great book. <laughs> I think at this point everyone has read it, right? I think, like, yeah. I think you know, so. But she was rereading to... it, which was why it was interesting. I wonder choice. if I should reread it. Because I don't reread many books. I, I don't either. I reread it a couple of years ago, and it is as it is. Yeah? Okay. Maybe that's the one. Yeah, maybe I should reread it. Right, so Tracy. Uh, with you in June and Dustin and Dustin of course yeah um, fantastic it's been an absolute pleasure hope to see you again soon oh, thank, thank you, you. thank you Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.